Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and salutations, Hempsters. This is your Hemptrepreneurial host, Tyler Hemp with Hemp Aware Radio. I am honored to have a very special guest on today's show. He's an author, a filmmaker, a comedian, an investigative journalist, a world traveler, and of all things, a hemp pioneer, to say the least. After researching the hemp industry worldwide for over two years, uh, he's now come out with his fourth book called Hemp Bound, which was published about a month ago, um, or over a month ago now. And um, it's... uh, you know, all about the re-legalization of hemp after 77 years of criminalization. And uh, that book is being widely praised, uh, especially by people like Joel Salatin, uh, calling it one of the most fun books you'll ever read about the future of farming. And also uh, Willie Nelson declaring it as a blueprint for the future of America. What an honor and a privilege to have Doug Fine on today's show. Thank you so much for joining us, Doug. Tyler, thanks a lot. Thanks for the kind introduction. It's good to be with you. I know you're doing great things in hemp as well. Right on. So today's show is just a 15-minute show, and so we're going to try to be as as, uh, direct and and juicy and meaty as possible. So please, when um, let us know, how did you get introduced to the cannabis world? Obviously, people can get your books and and learn about you or visit DougFine.com. But just give us a brief introduction about how you were introduced to the cannabis world and what inspired you to get into this work. Well, um, on the psychoactive side, the you know health maintenance spiritual side for some people, medicinal um, and social, uh, it's been friendly to the plant for for a long time uh, and first reported on cannabis in 1994 in Alaska. Alaska has always had a very interesting cannabis law going back to 1972. Um, But it was while I was researching a book called Too High to Fail a few years ago that the Psychoactive Cannabis Farmers Sustainable um, Farmer-Based Outdoor Cultivators put me on to the fact that they don't use the stalks and that the cellulose in the plant, that basically the biomass of hemp um, is a real solution for energy independence. And as a father, that was... Uh, all I needed to hear, and I've been researching all sides of the plants full-time uh, for the last decade. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it was the fact that they were throwing this portion of the plant away that inspired you to really start researching and see how we can utilize it to the fullest. So yeah, you, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And so you, you started traveling the world. You've been to multiple continents in many different countries. Uh interviewing farmers, gathering data. You put together wonderful books on the subject. What, um, Based on your ventures and your travels, uh, specifically in the U.S. this year, you, you've made quite a bit of a, a, a trek. About how many acres have, have been put in the ground this year, according to your knowledge? I think we're probably at about 5,000 acres nationwide, but we're at an exponential growth over last year, which was the first legal harvest. You were kind enough to mention Hemp Found, my recent book. Um, even more recently than that, I put out a hemp printed book about 2014's first federally legal harvest, um, uh, really in 77 years. Um, it was pointed out, noticed that uh, although prohibition started in 1937, um, there was some hemp cultivated with federal stamps of approval in Wisconsin until the 50s. But 
Effectively, last year was the first legal harvest for a long time, and uh, I documented that in three states. And then this year I've been documenting in four states, and um, it's an exponential growth, and we're going to see exponential growth again next year um, in hemp acreage nationwide. It's the real deal. It's not just a wish list. It's really happening. Mm-hmm. And so what you've discovered, you know, meeting these farmers, what are the predominant uses that they're applying these hemp fields toward? Is it uh, CBD-based, cannabinoid uh, products, or is it the fiber, the seed? What have you found the predominant use these farmers are growing for? Well, it's definitely true that um, nutraceutical side of things um, is a hot market right now, especially for folks that are getting into hemp, don't have a lot of modern experience with it, but you know, like the sound of it, um, and looking for where the immediate markets are, you know, with a uh, bottom-line perspective. And also those that are interested in the very real medicinal and nutraceutical, uh, I should say promising medicinal and definite nutraceutical and uh, health maintenance benefits of the plant. And so, um, uh, but what I've been amazed at is the breadth and the ever-growing range of applications that we're seeing um, hemp cultivated for. That's what's got me really excited. So with that said, I'm curious, what would you say are your top three most exciting products coming to the market that are made of hemp? Well, because I got full-time on what we might call the industrial slash agricultural side because of energy, um, I'm really excited about the fact that hemp-based batteries are looking really promising. Um, Everything related to energy biomass, gasification, eventually cellulosic ethanol and biodiesel. Everything related to energy um, is my first choice. And um, mm-hmm. uh, first sort of like favorite cool hemp apps, but mainly it's just seeing the acreage because of the phytoremediation qualities, um, farmers moving to hemp and away from monoculture. That's what's got me really excited. So to go a little deeper with that, you're saying the fact that hemp can clean our soils, it fixes nitrogen into the soil, so it's great crop rotation, it, it's a great companion crop. Is that kind of what you're describing? Yes, although um, one qu- slight clarification, um, it's not really known as a nitrogen fixer, but what it does do in rotation with nitrogen fixers like an alfalfa or, or, or um, other um, crops like that that really are known as nitrogen um, fixers, it, uh, it sort of aerates the soil and allows the essential microbiological cocktail that we all now are learning is so important. I mean, farmers knew it for millennia, but in the last century of monoculture, it was forgotten how important the local microflora are in the soil, and hemp's um, taproots poke holes in the soil, basically, and um, will take root in marginal soil and also leach toxics from soil. So if you have soil that already is toxic for whatever reason, including at Fukushima in Japan, um, mm-hmm. hemp plays a role. Wow, how fascinating. So you're obviously a, a pioneer. You're on the front line of these hemp, uh, you know, farming and, and writing about it, documenting about it. I would love to hear your highest vision for the future of the world as it relates to the industrial hemp movement, you know, becoming available for humanity to utilize as food, shelter, clothing, and all the rest. What what would you say the next, you know, three to five years? What's your highest vision for the hemp movement, and how do you see it playing out? 
Well, um, I'm a rural guy. I'm speaking to you from my solar-powered goat ranch here in New Mexico now. I'm about to head on a road trip to go speak about hemp. And, um, and uh, so the idea of farmers going back to, the, to work, basically, we had 90% of Americans farming in Thomas Jefferson's day, 30% when Prohibition started in 37. So getting back to that, those higher numbers, we're out down to 1% today. That's what really has me excited. Viable rural communities in a distributed digital age era. I just it's it's a remarkable um comeback opportunity for rural rural people around the world. So that's my first hope. My second hope is energy independence and a move away from fossil fuels through through hemp and other biomass. And my third hope is um specifically to thus those plus in the cannabis um research and cannabis uh, uh, reemergence family that we move away as a society uh, from delineating amongst different types of uh, cannabis plants. There are different plants that are going to be useful for different things. Um, to show, to give an example of that, rather than delineate between, say, psychoactive cannabis and industrial hemp, on the one hand, there might be an, a quote-unquote industrial application where the fiber strength is increased by a higher THC output. Nobody's going to be using it for psychoactive or medicinal activity, for medicinal uses, but um, the plant and the industry might benefit from that. So that's an example why we might see higher THC in so-called hemp. And on the other side, I keep telling people I'm waiting to, uh, not, not that I've... Uh, uh, brought home a truckload of cash yet, but I'm waiting to invest in a company called like Mellow Buzz, where which is like for people that don't want 27% THC all the time, or perhaps they they actually want a male female blend, male and female energy to go into their plant, and there actually are seeds with the flower, or people that want whole plant uses for raw juicing, for those kind mm-hmm. of things in so-called psychoactive cannabis where the THC is lower in a three to six percent range. So I think um, erasing the, the delineation among sides of the plant and understanding that all parts of the plant are beneficial and, um, you know, just getting over the THC fear, which is happening in society around the world, I'm proud to say. One of the things I'm really excited about this year is I'm going to be participating um, in the United Nations General Assembly Special Session in April designed to revise international drug laws to be in sync with the changes that member stations like the good old USA, Uruguay, and others are making. Wow, how awesome. Well, we just have about four minutes left. I would love if we can answer two more questions. Number one, what would you say is the most essential information about cannabis or the industry that people need to know today? Uh, and, And what can they do to literally go out today, take action, and contribute to this movement? If there was one Great thing question. that they could do. Great question. Um, I would say advocate for full federal legalization of cannabis. To me, the the drug war, which is our nation's worst policy, has been segregation, in my view. Um, it's almost over, and we're winning. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's just mop-up time now, but you've got to pay attention during these phases. So, um just to throw out there a handful of things that um, uh, all cannabis removed from the Controlled Substances Act, make sure you let your federal politicians know, your congressperson and your senators and your state know that, that you vote on that issue. No dicking around, no rescheduling, moving it around. Just pull it out of the purview of the Justice Department and regulate it like a crop. Uh, and let states regulate it um, like, they, like they do alcohol. 
specifically on the hemp side right now, there's the Hemp Industrial Farming Act of 2015, which moves us from our current research-only provision in full commercial legalization, again, taking hemp, uh, in this case, only low THC hemp, but to start out of the purview of Justice Department and into agriculture where it belongs, USDA, um, support the U.S., uh, the, the uh, Industrial Hemp Farming Act of 2014 and let your federal politicians know. Um, tell everybody you know why you think cannabis is good for the country because it's going to be uh, giving us energy independence. And don't tolerate anything that doesn't allow home cultivation. Um, the genetics of hemp, there's a balance, I think, between people doing research on genetics and right to grow. And um, laws must allow people to cultivate in their homes. Any talks of, like, moratoriums or red light zoning or smell nuisances are absolute nonsense. You wouldn't do that for ginger, tomatoes, or other things, plenty of which are plenty fragrant. So um, I would say all those things are really vital. And then my tip would be, this is just a personal preference as a sustainability guy, I'm trying to do my part to steer the world back to an outdoor cultivation mindset. For those of us who would rather grow um, a squash in our garden or get it broccoli at the local farmer's market or food co-op, uh, we would never buy a ginormous hothouse apple or tomato in a commercial supermarket. Some of us are nonetheless um, 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 trained in some ways or, or um, you know, uh, used to uh, um, enjoy their cannabis that's been grown indoors, and that's extremely energy demanding in most cases. There are kind ways to grow indoors, but 90-plus percent, I'd estimate, now are using stuff that you wouldn't put in your bodies, want to put in your body, and uh, I just am trying to steer folks back to an outdoor, at least like that free, uh, greenhouse mentality in real soil with real microbes in the soil. Awesome. Great answer. Thank you so much for joining us. There's just about one minute left on today's show. This is uh, your host, Tyler Hemp with Hemp Aware Radio. If you want to visit the archived hemp episodes, check out hempaware.com forward slash radio. You can also visit iTunes podcast library and review uh, this episode with Doug Fine. Finally Hemp Bound is the name of the episode. Thank you so much for your knowledge, wisdom, and dedication to this movement and everything you're doing to revive the agronomics and bringing the farms you know, back to the people and the people back to the farms. Doug, it was a pleasure to have you on today's show. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I look forward to seeing you around soon. All right. I'll see you in the hemp fields. Have a blessed day. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you want to call in, 805-410-4367. Give us your suggestions. We'd love to hear what you want to talk about, what you want to hear about as it relates to industrial hemp and the cannabis movement. Have a blessed day. Thanks so much for tuning in.